Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. Back with a good friend, Mike Cernovich, a lawyer and the author of the most excellent guerrilla mindset, how to control your thoughts and emotions to live life on your terms. You really, really want to follow Mike on Twitter at twitter.com slash Cernovich. We'll put all of the vital statistics below. Read his uh, great blog at dangerandplay.com and follow him on Periscope. And right at the end, we'll talk about his new funding venture, which we'll uh, we'll get into. But uh, right now, uh, gosh, Mike, if only there was something for us to chat about. I feel like, you know, it's got a lot of empty space. Not much has been going on lately. So uh, I don't know. Can we just pull a topic out of thin air, perhaps? Yeah. When can we have a day off? That would be the topic. When can we so, just so, not talk about anything? So yesterday, uh, what was interesting is that two private things became public. Uh, one, one of course, was John Podesta's uh, emails, which came out of WikiLeaks. Now, they say they've only released 1% of them, so the guy seems to be sort of a typing machine. So these private emails became public through WikiLeaks and uh, contained some pretty hair-raising, if not totally shocking stuff. Uh, not for those of us in the know, but, you know, for the mainstream people and so on, it's going to be surprising. We'll get into that. And the other was a conversation that Donald Trump had on a bus, which I think he thought was private, uh, 11 years ago with uh, Billy Bush while on his way to do a cameo on a soap opera. I wonder if we could, you know, maybe flip a coin and figure out which of these two private becoming public things is slightly more important for the future of Western civilization. I'll let you weigh in at this point. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of at a, I'm kind of at a crossroad where there are a lot of Americans who care, but a lot of times it's easy to just say, you know what, I'm done. If America wants to thank some crude remarks made 11 years ago on a bus while they were trying to act like alpha males together, if Americans think that that is what matters, then you know what? We deserve what we get. I, I sincerely believe it. I believe that Europe is deserving what it's getting and that if this is what we value in America, some locker room talk 11 years ago, that's what we want to focus on when we have a major dump proving Hillary Clinton is corrupt then we have what we deserve coming to us. Okay, so for, for those who don't know, uh, Donald Trump and Billy Bush were sort of bantering back and forth in a private conversation. And yeah, there was a little bit of uh, harambe chest thumping and so on, and who's who's the bigger alpha. And uh, uh, he talked about wanted to sleep uh, with some woman. She rebuffed him. He accepted that. I think they remained uh, friends. He took her furniture shopping, which I don't think is particularly great game, but you know, I've been out of the market for so long. <laughs> for me, great game is uh, banging two coconuts together. Uh, so um, there was that conversation he talked about uh, as a sort of rich, powerful, successful alpha male. Uh, he can grab a woman's pussy and they won't mind and so on. And this to me, you know, everybody's got conversations, which if taken out of context or even if just publicized, someone could have recorded you at some point over your life. And we've all had conversations which are private, not public. And I was thinking just this sort of selective outrage. It seems like a bit of a dude to female thing. The white knighting still seems to be endemic because my thought was, okay, well, let's imagine there was some, you know, powerful, uh, sexually attractive uh, female uh, movie star or whatever it is. And she said, oh, yeah, guys are so much into me. I could basically just walk up and grab their dicks and they wouldn't complain. And we would be like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's just a way of phrasing things. We wouldn't say, oh, my God, she's advocating sexual assault. I mean, it, it just wouldn't be this kind of selective outrage hysteria that seems to be the hallmark of the left. Well, the problem with you, me, and most of your listeners is that we are, we're red pill, okay? We understand the world at least at a deeper level than everybody does. Maybe we'll never fully understand reality, but we understand that women do enjoy and admire aggression from men qualified who are alpha males. 
So if somebody like Donald Trump says, yeah, if I like a woman, I just go up to her and grab her. If you're a beta male, you're thinking, oh, God, I can't believe it. That's, that's assault. Well, yeah, it is if you do it. It isn't what Donald Trump does. It, it's a completely different uh, sexual social dynamic, which incidentally is why I quit writing about any kind of relationship altogether because I would read my articles and I would think, well, yeah, that, but that only works if you're maybe you have the vibe to go with it. So the tapes, the tapes do sound bad primarily to beta males. And as we've seen in the fallout, all the women have said, yeah, I have brothers. I know that's how they talk. My brothers are good men. They're chivalrous men. That's just how men talk. They talk like dogs. No big deal. But it's the beta cucks and the Republican Party who are actually going crazy over this. Women, the women don't care. It isn't going to move the vote for the women. The liberal women, they're pretending, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Just to score points. But it's the beta males in the GOP who are most offended by this. And does anyone seriously think, a few times in my life, I've sort of accidentally overheard women talking about sexual matters. Uh, and boy, the, the veneer of the fainting Victorian couch lady kind of vanishes pretty quickly when you realize that they, uh, you know, speak speak fairly frankly about things like size and girth and, and mechanics and so on. And uh, yeah, I didn't think any less of them. It's like, you know, sex is a part of life. And we talk about it sometimes in crude terms. Oh, oh, here's another news flash. A guy in the construction industry will occasionally use coarse language. I mean, where, where are we as a planet where this is a shock to people? Well, the problem is the beta males don't, they really don't. They have no insight and understanding of women. They don't understand a woman's sexual nature. They don't understand that women are as sexually depraved as men are and that whatever dark fantasies a man has, a woman has, they, they, they really don't get it. So for the, for the beta males in the GOP, this really is shocking stuff. I don't think that this, I don't think it's completely pro wrestling. At Paul Ryan's level, at Mitt Romney's level, yeah, they're pretending to be offended. But there are a lot of these guys in the GOP who they really – they don't know anything about women. They don't realize that, yes, men and women are both sexually depraved, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of who we are. Now, let's um, uh, pivot to sort of Donald Trump released a statement where he said, um, yeah, it was not the right stuff to say. I've changed a lot since then. This doesn't reflect my essential nature. I'm sorry. You know, I think a fairly um, honest evaluation of, of the impact of what he said on people and, you know, promising to do better. And yeah, that's a redemption story that certainly Christians couldn't have much, uh, much problem with. Uh, and then I thought the most interesting thing happened. And. I had crossed my fingers, Mike, that this was going to happen. I crossed my fingers that it was going to happen months ago. But it seems like the gloves are off when it comes to, okay, we're going to talk about treatment of women. Okay, there's one private conversation. No women were harmed in the recording of that private conversation. Let's start talking about the Clintons and their treatment of women. And if those gloves are off, I think uh, it is going to be a much more interesting, um, I guess, end of the um, uh, run for presidency. Yeah, months ago. So for your listeners who don't know who, di who didn't grow up in the generation you and I did, the Clintons have been corrupt their entire lives, but they also have this bill as a, a sex act, essentially. And he's been accused of rape multiple times. He settled a sexual harassment lawsuit for $800,000. The Monica Lewinsky story uh, gets a lot of attention, but I never found that to be particularly compelling. It was a consensual relationship between a man and his intern. It got a little kinky. That never really got me going. But 
the Paula Jones case where Bill Clinton, as governor, would have his state troopers find women and say, okay, she's pretty, bring her up to my room. And they would come up to his room and he would just take his pants off and say, you need to kiss this. And at one point, Juanita Broderick said, Bill went beyond being just sexually aggressive and he actually forced himself on her, bit her. And then Hillary Clinton covered all of this up. So what you and I have been waiting, because we understand humanity, is that that is compelling. This Clinton cash, nobody cares. Nobody cares about Clinton cash. I wish it were otherwise. I really wish people cared. Nobody cares. Okay, if you're making an argument and you're not persuading your audience, then as a matter of rhetoric, you move on to another argument. And Trump's advisors have told him, no, no, don't bring up that women stuff. That is going in the mud. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, that set Trump up for the attack today because Trump talking trash with some random celebrity is nothing compared to the rapes and the cover-ups, more importantly, that Hillary Clinton had been involved in. Right. And I also find it strange that there does seem to be this, uh, I'm sick to my stomach, I'm fainting, I can't breathe with, with the words that were said and so on. I mean, these guys are, the, the men and women, they're at the top of the political structure. I mean, how can they be so um, frail? I mean, you know, if if uh, uh, if you end up in charge, you know, you're going to be commanding a whole bunch of soldiers. And um, I'm fairly sure that soldiers aren't always using the most politically correct speech uh, in the universe. And um, I just, you know, I'm sick to my stomach. I, I couldn't breathe. What he was said. I mean, is that designed to evoke a physical response in the listeners? I mean, how can this be taken seriously? Well, and even to take it a step back, and that last WikiLeaks, one of the head staffers at the DNC was emailing a friend, and he said, I'm about to impregnate that cougar. And then I don't know if you saw that email, but there was an email where a DNC staffer said, I'm about to impregnate that cougar. And then his friend goes, well, is she married? And he goes, well, look at her finger. So that kind of crude talk, yeah, I'll, I'll find that email. That, that email, I thought, well, here we go. That's a good email. But the mainstream media, the hoaxing media will never pick it up because here, here's what rational people will find media maddening. They'll say, you know, we have double standards, yes. Once you realize that and you realize it's rigged, then the entire media coverage makes sense. So the media said nothing about that DNC leak email where they're talking about impregnating Cougar. They're just being crude, and I wasn't offended by it personally, but – if you want to hold them to the same standard, that would be a big problem. But now they're pretending to be just shocked. Oh, my God, I can't believe Donald is this way. Frankly, it looks pathetic. If that kind of stuff offends you, then you shouldn't be allowed to vote. One of the um, hot topics or hot in-pursuit topics uh, over this election has been what on earth did Hillary Clinton say to these financial institutions um, after being Secretary of State? Uh, that was worth the unbelievable or ungodly amounts of money that she was paid for these speeches. And I think she's been refusing to release transcripts and so on. But uh, some of the information seems to have come out as they discussed the contents of the speech. So uh, according to the WikiLeaks dump, a 2013 speech to a Brazilian bank from Hillary Clinton, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders sometime in the future with energy that is as green and sustainable as we can get it power and growth and opportunity for every person in the hemisphere. So that is um, open borders means basically, as far as I understand it, turning the Western hemisphere into the equivalent of the European Union, sort of free movement. Uh, anyone can come and move in the U.S. Uh, from uh, Central and South American uh, countries. Uh, 
And um, this, of course, is something that Trump has been talking about for a while. She's open borders. She's open borders. Uh, she's been denying it. Uh, a bunch of um, PolitiFact and other places said, no, 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 it's not true. She's not open borders. Uh, now, these facts come out. Again, it's not quite as salacious as uh, Donald Trump uh, talking about wanting to uh, have sex with some woman. But it seems kind of important if you want to become president of a country in order to dissolve its borders. Uh, that seems kind of relevant to me. Well, if you actually care, here's what we always hear. You know, we liberals, we care about policy and the Republicans don't. Okay, well, you and I and your listeners and viewers, we actually care about policy. Not only did Hillary Clinton say she wanted open borders, she also told Wall Street, you should regulate yourself. I went through all of her Wall Street, Wall Street speeches and she also, she kissed their butts. It was pathetic. It was groveling. It was, I mean, it's everything that we knew, but it was proven to be true. So in her speeches, not only did she say she wanted open borders, but she told Wall Street, we need to listen to you guys more. We meaning the government. You need to help us regulate you. And I thought to myself, well, anything you thought about Wall Street owning Hillary Clinton confirmed, that should matter. That should matter. Anything you thought about open borders and the problems that Europe is having, that should matter. But the media doesn't seem to care about actual policy. They care about celebrity gossip, drama, and salacious nonsense. Because this is a, it's a huge deal, right? So 83% of the American population wants to see immigration levels frozen or reduced. And according to some numbers that I looked up, Clinton could add 10 million new immigrants just during her first term alone, in addition to the 11 to whatever illegal immigrants that she wants to amnesty within her first 100 days in office. So we're talking 20, 30 million uh, new citizens uh, coming in, not counting even the massive increase in Syrian migrants that she wants to bring into America. Uh, that is very much a, consistent with the idea of open borders, that uh, everyone in the world basically has a right to come and live in America, which, of course, would be billions of people. And, of course, all of these people will vote left, and that's the whole point. They don't care about multiculturalism. They don't even fundamentally care about open borders. They just want to be able to import people who are going to vote for them. And, of course, Bernie Sanders, uh, open borders, he really, really disliked it. He called it a radical and fringe position. Uh, it was good for the wealthy donors, but hurt ordinary working uh, Americans. So all of the Americans who were for Bernie Sanders, partly because he didn't want open borders, you know, when, when they saw the manipulation that the DNC put in place to get Hillary Clinton ahead, they're going to be pretty frustrated about all of this, too. It's not a universal Democrat position. Right. It is. Now is the time where everybody, if you're an objective person and a rational thinker, you unpack everything you think you know about reality. The media says, we care about policy, but Trump supporters don't care about policy. Well, here I am, a Trump supporter, and I don't know if you're a Trump supporter or not, but here we are talking about real policy that actually matters, that actually has impact, and what is the media talking about? Uh, you know, P-word jokes that happened, you know, 11 years ago. So it, it, we, we've really exposed the media for the ho hoaxing institutions that they are, and it's time for every rational thinking person to do everything they can to try to take down the media. Yeah, and replace it with uh, something far better. There's also something very interesting, I think, which is uh, she wants to bring, of course, a lot of uh, the Middle Eastern migrants in. Uh, this is Hillary Clinton on the refugees from October 28, 2013. She said, uh, or the email read, so I think you're right to have gone to the places that you visited because there's a discussion going on now across the region to try and see where there might be common ground to deal with the threat posed by extremism and particularly with Syria, which has everyone quite worried. 
Jordan, because it's on their border and they have hundreds of thousands of refugees, and they can't possibly vet all those refugees. So they don't know if, you know, jihadists are coming in along with legitimate refugees. Turkey, for the same reason. So here she is very clear that uh, it is not possible to vet uh, these uh, refugees, but then she wants to bring more and more and more in. And again, I, I know it's salacious to talk about what Donald Trump said on a bus when he was not running for office and he was private. And But this is much more important. This, of course, is somebody saying, I want to bring in a whole bunch of people. I know we can't vet them, and I've admitted that privately. Yeah, and the hoax media doesn't want to talk about it. It is celebrity gossip, celebrity trauma. But that is why alternative channels like you and me and others, Vox Day, are rising because people do want alternatives. So, again, this little thing that happened yesterday was just another microcosm of our entire system. We had two email drops, okay, two, two story sets. Watch what the hoaxing media said. Russian hackers did WikiLeaks. Well, did Russian hackers do the NBC one? Well, no, that was a leak. So Russian hackers got brought us the Podesta emails. But the leak, oh, yeah, that's totally above board. You know, let's not talk about Russian hackers or whatever. The WikiLeaks actually has public policy issues of national importance involving an elected official. The other one is Kim Kardashian-level celebrity gossip. That's what the media focuses on. And that has been the entire news cycle for the past year to maybe 10, 20 years. Okay, so here I think we're sort of getting to the meat of the sequence, and people need to understand the sort of puppet-like manipulations that are occurring at the moment. Who knows how long, you know, this tape's been around for 11 years. Um, who knows how long the, um, uh, the Democrats have been sitting on. But, Mike, I think we all basically understand these dominoes that when WikiLeaks was about to drop the bomb, an hour later, the Trump stuff comes out. And, of course, the whole point is to give you something shiny to distract you from what's uh, really going on that actually has an impact uh, on your future, that all of this, you know, these these sort of regular Friday afternoon, uh, sometimes the dumps of her emails, if they're big, if they're not big enough, then it's Friday afternoon, so it doesn't it sort of misses the news cycle. If they are big enough, then they need to pull something else out of the hat to distract you. Look, something shiny, squirrel, so that you don't actually focus on the content of the emails. And I just really want to urge people, and again, I know it's salacious, it's gossip, it's cool in a way, you know, ooh, he said this on a bus. Don't fall for it, you know, vault over that stuff and look at the content of these of this pedestrian email dump. That is where the future of your country, your culture, your civilization hangs in the balance, not on uh, Donald Trump uh, joking about trying to get a woman to sleep with him on a bus. Yeah, quite frankly, I viewed that story as beneath me, but it got so big that I had to talk about it just to make the point that you're making. So it's kind of weird. We all live in this sort of media matrix where this story from Donald Trump is beneath me. I, I, I would never read such trash. I don't read Us Weekly, People Magazine. You would never, you'd never find me on TMZ or other such nonsense websites, okay? So I would never talk about that, but that's what the media wants to talk about. So then everybody's kind of forced to talk about it. And as you say, that's by design. And I think there are a lot of people, what I've seen uh, on the web, there are a lot of Trump supporters who are freaking out a little bit. You know, because there's talk of people saying, oh, you've got to withdraw and so on. The guy's not going to withdraw. I mean, this is, that would be, if, if he was going to withdraw, he, first of all, he never would have run. He's smart enough to know what the media was going to try and uh, do to him. 
And, uh, you know, he said some stuff, he regrets, he apologizes, and now he can pivot and legitimately start talking about the Clinton's treatment of women, if that's a topic. Uh, you know, of all the sort of pins to pull out of a grenade, uh, I would say that treatment of women would be the last one if I were uh, running anything to do with the Clintons. That's the last one. It's like, okay, if we've gone through 999 other ones, I still don't want to do this one because this is not one that we can do uh, very well in. But um, what what would you say to the Trump supporters who are, ah, you know, kind of freaking out a little bit and thinking that, uh, you know, well, sorry, we can't have Western civilization because... Donald Trump used a four-letter word. I mean, it's again, these are so ridiculous things to say, but what would you say to help calm people's concerns? It isn't going to impact the, the boat. What it's going to do is lead to more infighting with the GOP, more power plays. The GOP has always been conspiring against Trump. So here's what I told people a year ago. Be real. To get Trump elected, we have to beat the Democrats, the media, and the GOP. It has always been that way. We've always been fighting a three-part war. And I'm actually working on an expose on how the GOP is sabotaging the get-out-the-boat drive for Donald Trump. And we could probably talk about that in another another episode. But the, the stories I've heard from real high-level people will really blow your mind. They blew my mind, and I'm a pretty uh, cynical person. So the answer is, hey, man, um, this is what we prepared for. This is what we got into if you don't love the fight and you think this is hard and you're demoralized, then you may as well just go take a nap because it's about to get a lot more intense because sick Hillary Clinton does want to import ISIS. So what can you do? Here's what I tell people. MAGA3X. If you're on social media, share three stories a day. That's all you have to do. Facebook or Twitter. Don't think that your impact doesn't matter because that's what the mainstream media wants you to think. No person matters. No, if each person, because of network effects and cascade effects and tipping points and all those other buzzwords, if each person just shares three articles a day, then that's how we get our truth out. Register three people to vote. Commit to that. MAGA3X. Bring three people to the polls with you. Ultimately, and this is about guerrilla mindset, everybody listening has to take personal responsibility for Western civilization. I did it. If you read my old articles, I said I, I'll never care about a presidential election. It's the dumbest thing in the world because I thought it was Western civilization was over. So, yeah, everybody listening, you have to take responsibility for your emotions. You can't be rattled. They want you rattled. Remember that the enemy uses propaganda to demoralize you. So if you feel demoralized because of the, the media articles, that means they're winning, and you have to choose if you're going to let them win. Beyond that mindset shift, Post three articles a day on social media. It takes you five minutes. The way I look at it is if you're going to read the article, if you have time to read an article, you have five seconds to post it on Twitter. Maybe nobody's going to retweet you right away, but hey, nobody used to retweet me in the beginning either. It takes time to build up. Register three people to vote. Take three people to polls. If you MAGA3X, then we're going to win. If you don't MAGA3X, it's going to be a close race. Well, and I think given some of the uh, irregularities that seem to be floating around, the dead coming back to life to vote, you know, I mean, I think there needs to be a bit of a, um, uh, it needs to be not exactly a landslide, but it can't be real close because uh, I think then um, some shady stuff might uh, might take over the reality of the vote camp. Yeah, the only thing I disagree with Scott Adams on is that he thinks it's going to be a landslide, and I think it's going to be razor-thin margins. I think it's going to be real close. 
And as you know, anybody who's ever watched a boxing match goes, you can't leave it to the judges because the judges are going to go with the hometown boy. If it's a close race, 1% to 3% voting fraud is pretty easy for the DNC to pull off, and they'll pull it off. So, again, personal responsibility. Here's what I tell people. Don't complain to me, man. Don't tell me the world is hopeless. What have you done today? Shared three articles, registered three people to vote. Are you going to bring three, three people with you to the polls? If you're doing that, then you're not going to feel demoralized because you're going to understand that we are building infrastructure for 2018 in Congress. So the party isn't over November 9th. President Trump or no President Trump, we still have to worry about Congress in 2018. So I'm laying down processes that we're going to be able to scale and use to take over Congress in 2018. So this is just another battle. And Trump has been, I think, pretty straight with people and pretty pretty direct. You know, one of the things that um, everybody kind of suspects about politicians is that, you know, it's the, the, the two-faced environment, right? They've got a one-face that they're going to present towards the voters and then behind closed doors with the lobbyists, with the special interest groups, with the people who are more directly funding what they do, they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, that was just a public thing that I said. Don't worry about what I have to say to the public. This is what my real position is. And uh, Hillary Clinton has talked about that. Uh, she says she has to hold both a public and a private position. And that is really, really important. It's a fundamental thing to understand. There's a confession of duplicity with the voters. It means that whatever she's going to say to you is not something that she uh, actually believes. There's no guarantee because she's openly said, I got a, I got a public-facing position and I got a private position. Uh, and of course, you only differentiate those two if they're not the same and they may not even be close to the same. So that's really, really important that if you're, you know, if you're on the left or you're a Democrat and so on, you have to at least process the fact that Hillary Clinton is outright saying that stuff she says in public uh, may not at all match what she believes or permits to in, in private. Yeah, and that has zero um, persuasive effect, which is why, remember Hillary Merkel, the, the video, you know, that we just released, that is... Why do you, I don't feel demoralized about the media because I know that we can win. But once the election's over, I'm going to tell you the inside scoop about what I know about what's going on within the Trump campaign. And there are saboteurs within the campaign and people who are trying to because there's more money in having Trump lose than in having him win. So we'll talk about Trump sabotage, you know, after the election. But that's why my latest video was Hillary Merkel. Hillary Clinton says she wants open border. Here's what that means for Europe. Here's what that'll mean for the U.S. Why isn't Trump's people releasing those kind of advertisements on TV? That is compelling. That is visceral. That is human. That connects with people on a primal level. And it isn't being done. So you're, a lot of your listeners might be a little um, you know, jarred by the, the media attacks. Me, I'm thinking we have missiles. It's time to launch them. So let's talk about persuasion, because this really does come down to persuasion. And, um, you know, I've got a whole presentation on the death of reason about how little reason and evidence sways most people. And you mentioned earlier that the Clinton cash stuff, uh, which has been uh, a book, it's been a, a movie. I think it came out as a graphic novel and all of this. And you're saying that's not really moving the goalpost very much. It's not really moving people's minds. How is it that you do get into people's motivations and what do you think is going to get them? Uh, to change their behavior the most compellingly over the next couple of weeks? Personal stories. There's a great book called Wired for Story. Human beings were ultimately, we're storytelling, we're storytelling individuals. We perceive the world in terms of story. 
That's why narratives matter so much to us. That is why we have confirmation bias. So you have to, and this goes back to just good trial learning. You have to be able to tell a compelling story in a way that moves people on a primal level. So corruption, for example, it just doesn't move people because politics is corrupt. Oh, yeah, you caught a politician lying. You know, we don't really care. But when you bring up that Billy Bush stuff, a lot of dads think, well, I have a daughter, and I wouldn't like a man talking about my daughter like that. Well, that, that's a completely irrational thing to believe because Trump isn't talking to your little kid, your daughter. And if your daughter's 25 or 30, then she's doing whatever she's doing, and it's none of your business, really, what she's doing. But that, that hurt Trump because at a personal level, that's how people relate to the world. Ultimately, you have to realize people relate to the world on a personal level. So that's why you want to focus on Hillary is letting ISIS invade us, terrorist attacks, because then people can imagine themselves being the victim of a terrorist attack. People can imagine their children being blown up. People can imagine their wives being killed or their daughters being raped by the people coming in from the Middle East. That's why that works. So, yeah, you have to bring it to a human level and you have to tell a compelling story. And it has to be about something that people are afraid of. Nobody, nobody's afraid of corruption, really. Even though we should be, it, we're not evolved to be afraid of corruption. But we are afraid of some big, dirty, you know, old man doing something that we wouldn't like with our daughters. So that's why the media intelligently is hitting Trump with the Billy Bush scandal, which shouldn't work, but it does work because we are rational people. And this thing, too, I mean, people make this mistake all the time. Um, I guess it's a logical fallacy. But, um, you know, when, when Trump talks about a subset of illegal immigrants being murderous and rapists, suddenly it's all Mexicans, all Mexicans are murderers and rapists. It's like, no, it's a subset of a subset. Um, he's not talking about all women when he talks about uh, women's sexual receptivity to a powerful, handsome, rich, uh, famous man. He's talking about groupies. Now, not all women are groupies. Not every female on the planet, you know, follows around Steve Tyler throwing her panties at him. Well, I guess maybe that's a little past his prime now, but, you know, for younger audience, uh, substitute, uh, I don't know, Ed Sheeran or something. But um, he's talking about a subset of uh, women who uh, have a fetish for uh, money and power and fame, uh, gold diggers, you could call them. He's not talking about all women. You know, I, I would sort of argue that if you raise your daughter really well, she's not going to end up trying to be a hanger-on to rich men and offering herself up for their pleasure. And, of course, he's talked about it in his books when he was younger. He was a complete hound dog. I mean, uh, he would uh, chase things in skirts. And um, the private-public thing, too, you know, I couldn't help but notice uh, in the bus he's talking a particular way. But then when he comes out of the bus, he's a perfect gentleman. He's fine. You know, there is a kind of bravado that happens uh, in private between men and between women when talking about these matters. But then when he emerges in public, he's not grabbing at women, he's, you know, he's himself, he's, you know, in terms of his public thing. So I just find uh, this extrapolation from an individual particular category to everyone, uh, it's so logically fallacious, but uh, if you can get people to believe it, then all women are gold diggers and, and all women, you know, like like to have sexually aggressive rich men um, uh, approach them uh, assertively and so on. But he's not talking about all women, but this just seems to be what the left does, extrapolate to everything and then blame the right for collectivizing things. Yeah, and the point you make was a good one because he's on the bus saying, oh, yeah, man, I'd really like to hit that. I'll just grab that. And then he comes out and he's very much like, 
oh, how you doing? Oh, you're looking great. Oh, Melania said that I can do that. It's okay. And he's even keeping his distance a little bit. So, yeah, he's being every bit the gentleman. And, again, that's why we call it locker room talk. And as much as I might wish that those types of stories don't have impact, I focus on how can we respond to it with our emotionally high-impact stories. And that's why the Trump campaign are making big mistakes, maybe fatal. We'll see. But Hillary Clinton is now on the record saying she supports open borders. Open borders is rape culture. Boom. I want to see TV ad buys on that story. Well, I mean, the media complaining about someone talking about uh, grabbing vaginas uh, in a sort of private uh, conversation, which he's never acted on, to my knowledge, in public and kind of imagine that he does. You know, where were they when the Rotherham scandal was going on? Where were they when Jeffrey Epstein is flying Bill Clinton back and forth on the Lita Express to to his orgy island? Uh, where were they uh, when the women were being groped uh, all throughout Europe on New Year's Eve and other times? You know, if this is their big horrifying story, where are they even remotely consistently? And I, th- I, I know that that is not something that is really compelling to people, just because it's compelling to me to see the selective outrage. But I do want to remind people that this is not a consistent uh, position. You know, seeing leftists suddenly discovering prudish Victorian sexual morality is really quite a spectacle if you know anything about the history of the left and what they want to teach to your kids. Yeah, and the pedophilia normalization and all the sick stuff coming out of Hollywood. We know that there are pedophiles in Hollywood. The media won't touch that story. We know that um, Corey Haim killed himself because he had been raped by pedophiles in Hollywood. Corey Feldman's talked about it. The media isn't interested in that story, though. So if you're raping children, as Corey um, has happened to Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, the media isn't going to touch Hollywood. But if you're an adult man and you're crude with your groupies, th- suddenly they care about that. And that's what you realize, that the left is – they're just – devoted to winning. In a way, if you look at things from apocalypse now, if you look at it from just imposition of will, the the soldier recounts the story of how the, the special forces soldiers vaccinated the children, and then they came in the next day, and they found a pile of arms in the middle of the city. And the Viet Cong had come in and chopped their arms off just to show will, to show that we don't want you doing anything with America. And as evil and as vile as that might have been, when you see that kind of exercise of will, you realize what we're up against. Well, the same is true with the left. Just in terms of imposing their will, having no moral decency, having no standards, being completely duplicitous, they are imposing their will on the world. It's up to us to fight back and to push back and to not, to not wish it were otherwise. We have to push back and fight hard in our own way. And I hope that... Um the people on the right and, and perhaps people directly in the Trump campaign, I hope they got the message that uh, the gloves can come off when it rega- with regards to the treatment of women. You know, because it has frustrated me since been um, been around the block a few times, and it has frustrated me that the people on the right have resolutely avoided uh, dealing with these topics with regards to the Clinton's treatment of women because I don't know what, they want to take the high ground, they think they might get mud on their manicured fingers, I mean, but this is a, you know, this is a street fight for the future of civilization. Uh, I think that you don't want to leave uh, anything uh, on the table when it comes to any angle that you can take uh, to win at this price, uh, or to win in, in, in this uh, situation. So I hope that they'll recognize that uh, this topic has now been broached. It is now fair game to go after it with whatever means you have at your disposal. And um, in the end, people will respect strength, will, and resolution. 
And uh, this is an old Ayn Rand argument that uh, I remember from when I was much younger, which is um, in any conflict between two positions, the most consistent position will always win. And the left is very consistent in their pursuit of power and their desire to use any means necessary to achieve that power. And uh, I hope that this helps uh, people um, uh, on the Trump campaign or on a conservative to say, okay, well, we need that same level of resolution uh, and willpower and aggressiveness in order to win because uh, the left has no problem using these tactics and uh, people respond viscerally to whoever they think is going to win. You know, if you've got two tribes, uh, two tribal chieftains fighting it out, whoever you think is going to win, well, you're going to throw your weight in behind them because it would be very dangerous to not do that, right? There's an old saying, I think this comes from the Glorious Revolution. Uh, the old saying is, treason doth never prosper. What's the reason? Why, if it prosper, none dare call it treason. In other words, if you win... <laughs> It's not treason is only if you lose. So we're very biologically attuned to uh, align ourselves with whoever we think is going to win. And you have to have that uh, power. You have to have that projection. You have to pull along people like uh, someone behind a, uh, a, a water skiing boat, like on water skis. You have to pull them forward with the fierceness of your resolution and the commitment uh, to, to victory. And um, that, if, if that has failed, uh, I think that a lot of people deep down in their lizard brain, or I guess as you would say the gorilla mindset, will uh, find themselves aligning with whoever they think is going to end up in charge, because historically that's been by far the safest uh, force to take. Yeah, the, the only time people and uh, the conservative movement have any fight in them is when they are fighting with each other. You know, Paul, Paul Ryan, you know, signed off on Obama's $4 trillion budget. Mitt Romney was lied about by the media. Complete, I mean, talk about, you know, not to be a two-off subject, but talk about about just a wholesome family, Mitt Romney, okay? 2012, Mitt Romney's called a racist. They claimed that he killed his dog, abused his dog. I think they, they accused him of murder. And he didn't have much fight in him for that. But anytime Donald Trump says something that offends him, then he is all about fighting him. So what, you, what we're realizing now is that traditional conservatism is full of a bunch of beta males, and we just have to get rid of them. They're not going to see the light. They're not going to suddenly realize, okay, it's time to fight back against the media. They want to be liked by the media. So that's why I just treat them with contempt. I post my Twitter analytics to remind them how much I'm growing and how they're not. I remind them that I would rather go on your podcast than go on TV because nobody even cares about TV and nobody's engaged with TV. And going on TV is completely worthless for your brand and for your message. So I remind them of that daily just to demoralize them. So I'm running propaganda and psychological operations on them. So yeah, I've completely given up on the idea that they're going to wake up and say, you know what? We're going to fight back. We're not going to allow open borders. We just have to get rid of them. Now let's uh, close off. Um, I just wanted you to, to uh, talk to my listeners uh, as well about the movies you've got coming out, uh, the, the Red Pill and the one on free speech, and also to mention something about your new Patreon initiative. Okay, right. So I backed a film called The Red Pill, which is a look at the men's rights movement. Even though I'm not a men's rights activist, feminists had shut down the funding for this film. So Cassie J wanted to do a film on the men's rights movement. When they found out, when her backers found out it was going to be kind of neutral, they go, well, how can you be neutral about a hate movement? You know, we're not going to do it. So I said, I'll put up 10 grand, and then I matched $10,000 contributions from Danger and Play readers and people on Twitter. And she ended up raising like $211,000. The film is out. 
it showed it's showing in New York now. It'll show in LA in a week. So I, if, if you're in LA, come watch it with me. That was one. I released uh, that short documentary, Unconvention, which was about media hoaxes at the RNC and the DNC. I have another documentary coming out about free speech culture called Silence, the war on free speech. That is going to come out depending on film festival rules soon. And then finally, because I've been busy. So I do great. Gorilla Mindset has been a great success. You know, my books have been well. I have my legal career. So my income has always been fine and dandy. But to do real journalism and to take things to the next level, I need to be able to send people to Sweden, to Germany, to cover Cologne, to cover these sexual, um, the rape things happening, the rape culture, the, the fake migrant crisis. So I started a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mike Cernovich, where people can fund journalism. And by that, I mean, I don't take, because people have made donations to me for a long time. I don't take any of that money to cover my own living expenses or to buy a car or anything. All that money goes right out into the economy because my big vision is thinking way bigger than this election has always been we need to create our own micro economies. Everybody listening to this knows that they hold back a little bit because if, you're, if you might get fired, then you're done, right? So you don't really have free speech. So I always look at ways to create micro economies. And one way we can do that, my mechanic is a danger and play guy, so I take my car only to him to get service. And expanding that idea is people say I don't like the media, the media is biased, and then they drink a $5 latte a day. Well, okay then, that's fine. You have every right to drink that latte every day, but then don't complain that the media is biased if you're not funding institutions because Jeff Bezos is funding the Washington Post. Carlos Slim is funding the New York Times. Pierre, forget his last name, the eBay guy is funding The Intercept. Left wing, they have billions of dollars a year they're pumping into media. Of course, the media is biased. So people, if they want real journalism, then there's an opportunity to do it. And I always tell people, I don't make a hard sell. It's your life. Do what you want to do. But none of the money goes to me or to fund my lifestyle. All the money goes right back out into people like us to do journalism, freelance journalism, graphic design, put together short little feature films, short little documentaries. And, yeah, they can support then high-impact journalism at my Patreon. Important stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to remind people that uh, if the globalists have their way, your money's probably going to evaporate into puffy clouds of fiat currency nonsense, Weimar-style anyway. So you might as well. The best the best way to guard your money, I think, in many ways, uh, you know, invest it and, and do what you need to, but as well, throw a little bit of change towards uh, the uh, media that is doing the kind of job that you wish the mainstream media would do but never will do, uh, put your money where your values is. I think that's also a very good, important and Im important investment strategy to maintain the value of your money because if, if uh, people like Mike and I get our way, then um, the uh, society and, and civilization is going to be a lot more sustainable than if the globalists get their way. So I just really wanted to point that out. You know, it's important to support what you value and uh, – you can't take it with you anyway, so you might as well pour it into a great cause like saving the world from uh, globalism. So uh, thanks, Mike. It's always a great, great chat. Just want to remind people we'll put the links uh, to Mike's uh, wonderful web presence below. Uh, always a great pleasure, and uh, I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks so much, Greg. Talk to you soon.